This is Camp Hacker. Come find our show notes and our blog for camp directors and leaders at camphacker.tv. Good day and welcome to the podcast. This is Camp Hacker episode 122, recorded on the 22nd of January, 2020. On today's show, the future of summer camp. This Camp Hacker podcast is sponsored in part by Radtags. Designed by a former camp owner and director, Radtags is about connecting people to who they are, the camp they love, and the accomplishments they experience there. Radtags bracelets and tags help your camp community stay connected to their happiest place. Find out what Radtags has to offer your camp at zoic.ca forward slash rad. That's Z-O-I-C dot C-A slash rad. Also, don't forget to visit Radtags at the ACA National Camp Conference. Be one of the first 50 people to booth 522 for a special gift from Radtags and Go Camp Pro. Radtags, be and be known. Finally, if you've gotten even one good idea from the Camp Hacker podcast, and I bet you have, we'd be super grateful if you left us a review. It's really easy to. Just go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash camp. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash camp, and it'll get you started. Thanks for letting your awesome out, Camp Mavericks. We hope you enjoy the Camp Hacker Show. Hello, camp pros, and welcome to the Camp Hacker Podcast. My name is Travis Allison. I'm a summer camp marketing and strategy consultant, and I also run the Summer Camp Professionals Group on Facebook, and I would like to welcome you to the Camp Hacker Podcast. Hello, my name is Dan Weir, and I have over two decades of experience working in YMCA camping. I currently work for the YMCA of Long Island as their senior director in developing programming. So I basically bounce around and develop our day camps. And my name is Gabrielle Rail. I'm one of the camp directors at Camp Waro. Camp Waro is an all-girls camp in the Laurentian Mountains, and we focus on creating a positive female community for both our staff and our campers. And my name's Joe Richards. I'm the executive director at Pierce Williams Summer Camp and Retreat Facility, and I do stuff. And hello, my name is Stacy Simpson, and I am a consultant and trainer for um, summer camps and Girl Scout councils, uh, as well as small businesses and for entrepreneurs. So I'm excited to be joining in today. And we're grateful to have you back, Stacey. Some of my favorite topics were suggested by you or you and Corey. So it's nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. We uh, wanted to talk today about the future. Uh, wanted to talk about being strategic about the future, thinking about the future. And so um, I brought this group together and asked them to consider what are the things that make um, help them make good decisions about the the future um I came across some interesting piece of um thoughtful work from from camp alumni south Godin, who said there's the the you can make good decisions and there are good outcomes and sometimes they have nothing to do with the other all you have to do is do your best to make good decisions and then the good outcomes um you will only find out later so uh, i thought it'd be nice to spend some time talking about how to make good decisions about what the future of your camp is i really was thinking about the future of of buildings and programs but um i really want to encourage all listeners to be open about the future to do the work and look at things from um 
a logical perspective as well as sort of dream encouraging you to dream big. And this has really come up for us in the Ontario camps here right now because um, there's some big job action. The teachers union in our province uh, covers the whole province. It's not just, we don't have a whole bunch of teachers union, we have one and there's big job action going on right now. And how that affects camps is about camps who have the ability or the interest in running programs to help with um, those kids who aren't school. Uh, and also that's having a huge effect on spring programming at camps and camps that depend on schools coming out to their camps in the spring before their summer kids arrive. And that's having a big um, unbalancing effect right now because of that. And I think that um, a, a, an honest and open evaluation of the future as an outdoor ed center um, might involve, there might be some big questions asked uh, as we look at the outcome of this. And I think this is, um, Joe, maybe you can remember, but this is probably the third or fourth time in 10 years there's been big job action that would affect outdoor ed. Uh, it's at least three. Yeah, it's not, a lot of them haven't come to fruition. A lot of them have, uh, a lot of these job actions have threatened to come to fruition. The last time that it really truly was a zero people coming to camp for school programming in June, at least, would be as far back as 2005. The other ones limited the numbers coming, but it didn't stop everyone from coming in the end. So, But it does often affect when teachers aren't taking on the extra things like planning uh, trips. They can't, school trips obviously can't happen on in a very short turnaround. So that does affect the planning in lots of different ways. Yeah, the planning is the planning is a struggle for for us as camps if we want staff on site. Um, but it, it also part of your future vision. Our future vision is that is the idea of going to them because mm. a lot of our outdoor ed centers only work on an overnight schedule. They don't work right. on the day schedule. And we at Pierce, because we're so close to London, Ontario, we've done many of our things with day only. So right. for us to go to their school and run the program for the day isn't job action oriented because the teachers are going to be at work anyway, and they'll still, and they save the busing cost. <laughs> so right. Right. we can add, we do add a bit of cost on for our travel, but yep. in the end, it's all about adjusting to what's available. Right, right, right. Yeah. Dan, I know a big part of your job is considering the future, evaluating current programs, looking at places to make uh, improvements and changes. What's been your philosophy, whether in this job or, or your Frost Valley job, in, in thinking about how you evaluate things for future use? Yeah, um, I have like so many thoughts about this topic, so I'm going to just kind of narrowly answer your question. So you asked about evaluating. Um, I think the key is, is that you find some metric that you can really, um, prioritize for lack of better words, like, uh, not every camp is going to have the same goal. Not every, um, uh, program is necessarily driven the same way. You could always argue that you're driven by finances and, you know, you need kids in beds or kids in spots in order to do that. But that's not often what attracts the passion of people and what really goes for um, in terms of camp. And I really believe that the best thing that we could all do as camp professionals is just run the best program possible, you know, and to really figure out what makes it the best. So in terms of evaluating, um, I really look for um, what is kind of our main focus of the program. What do we want kids to be walking away with? 
Um, and also recognizing that kids don't necessarily have all the buying power and that this isn't just about the child's experience, it's about the family's experience, also about your staff's experience. So I really try to um, evaluate, to kind of concisely answer your question, evaluate based off of the kid's experience, the family's experience, and then the staff's experience, and, and, and have those in three different buckets, and then see what overlaps and see what, um, what is kind of an outlier for one group versus the other, really helps me kind of understand the full picture. Stacey, I think a cool part of your job, which is very similar to my job, is the perspective on a whole bunch of different organizations. Um, what's sort of your first ask of a of a, a camp or a council or an organization that you're trying to push to get to realistically evaluate some of their future programming physical plant decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a bunch of different um, kind of lenses that you can you can look at this through, and some um, some options or directions are going to really line up with certain criteria, and others are not. So to kind of try to look at it from every angle. So I think um, one of the main things for a lot of um, camps and organizations that I'm talking with is what's really feasible. So um, I think something that we talk about is have we have we tried this before even on like a micro level and did that work and then can we scale it to be bigger? So that's talking more in terms of program than site probably. Um, but to think about like what what have we done and what has worked? What did maybe we try it once or twice and it, we liked it? So let's let's dig into it and try and take it to that next step and see what that does for us. So kind of um, in terms of, and I mean, I think you think about that in terms of logistics, in terms of budget and financially, can it, is it sustainable um, in terms of the, the money side of things too? Um, and then I think for, um, it, it's particularly with Girl Scouts, which is a lot of the folks that I work with, Girl Scout Councils, um, there is an umbrella of uh, research and programmatic outcomes and information that we can pull from um, that is available to us in order to kind of provide some of that structure. And then we can decide locally or regionally for our campers, how do we fit into that with the resources that we have? So let's see, let's see what resources are available to us already. And then where can we move within that to kind of bring it to the next level? So I'm always kind of looking like, like what's at our fingertips and then where do we go from there basically? That's awesome. So, Gab, it, we're in an interesting situation, and you've made some really smart choices because of it, but you're very physically limited because the size of the property is small, mm. but you have you have built new buildings, you've taken buildings down, and you have done um, program changes in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. How? What's some of the frameworks within which you look at those decisions at World? I think, uh, well, yeah, so our camp is very, it's 14 acres. It is a t- Tiny, tiny camp. We have uh, we have neighbors on either side. Um, we can't move anywhere. And I think the first things first is to understand your limitations and um, you know how many kids can you have and how can you maximize how can you maximize with those with those numbers. And even even when we're looking at staff, even if we have a budget to hire more staff, um, we don't have the beds or the spaces to hire those staff members. It's, we can't even put up a tent somewhere. So first and foremost is just be happy with what you have and then see what you can do within that. Um, and then second, secondly, um, and I've said this many times before, but don't think of yourself as a summer camp. 
think of yourself as your, what's your core value? What are you trying to offer and, and allow your, your programs and your site to try to reflect that. So we, we just built a new building. Um, it's not finished yet, but we started it a couple of years ago and we really want to look at it as a multi-purpose um, building that would fit our campers, our staff members at different times, different days, as well as um, other groups uh, throughout the summer. And how, how does that look and feel match all individuals as long as we're sticking to our core value of community and, um, and empowerment, et cetera, et cetera. So, so sort of be, you know, be, understand what your limitations are and then also don't pigeonhole yourself into I'm a summer camp and that's what we need to stick to. Um, what is your actual greater purpose? What is your, your broader outreach so that you are not limiting yourself um, past your physical site? And that sounds like some great evaluation tools too for, for everything, like being real clarity, as you and Dan both said, real clarity on your vision and your purpose allows you to be as creative as possible. The idea is also not to limit, so never limit your thinking based on what you have. So this is a program trick that I teach staff all the time is we should never say, um, this is what we have, so this is what we can do. You should approach a program problem from what do we want to do and how do we make it happen with what we have. And it sounds like such a small change, but it's a huge change because you can create the Titanic if that's what you're going for Mm -hmm. without buying a boat to create the Titanic. You can create things around by shifting your mindset to the we can make whatever we want come true program wise if we use our imagination and creativity. And I find that I find that as people think about the futures of their, their sites or their programs, sometimes that's the limiting factor for them is that they think about what they don't have or what another camp has. My, my, uh, my personal thing is I have, I have plans on being a great woodworker, um, and, but I always think, well, if I just had this tool, this tool mm-hmm. will make me the great woodworker. And the reality is I don't need that tool. I just need to go cut wood and put stuff together, right? Like that's what I need to start doing. I don't need more fancy tools. I just need to, to make it happen with what I have. So, yeah. And I think that, Joe, you've, you've said, you know, a couple of times before um, with your camp, there isn't a lake. And mm-hmm. you had once told me, you know, it, that you, you laugh at camp directors that, that just need, they need to find a camp with a lake. And yeah, yeah. You, it's such a limited way of thinking. Camp is not based around a lake. Camp isn't based around, you know, starry nights. And once you get past that hurdle, um, and I'll admit, I was also, when you had said that to me, I said, I would really have a hard time to not to run a camp without a lake. But it did get me in the, in the process of thinking, you know, how would I create our quote unquote camp magic in a parking lot? You know, what yeah. would that look like? And how could I feel good at the end of the day? Not only good, but inspired and excited. And why would my staff feel excited and inspired and my campers as well? So trying to break yourself outside of that um, mindset is, is very uh, important, I think, for the success of your organization. And I think the future of things is often thought of in terms of where your history comes from. So if you grew up at a camp on a lake and your best memories are based on sitting on a beach, listening to the sound of the waves, 
then you're going to be stuck in, you could be stuck in a rut to say, well, I need the lake. Um, when in actuality, an awesome camp, give me eight kids a ball in an open field and I can create camp. And if we forget the ball, I'm probably good as well, right? Like it doesn't, it's, right. I think that's a quote from, the, from an old CCA magazine, but yeah, yeah. One of the things that strikes me from the stuff that people have said is that we um, we often set our own limits on on development and what could be, um, and in this in this discussion as well as most camp discussions, um, it, it grinds to a, a quick and sudden end as soon as somebody says, "But we've always done it this way," <laughs> and the first people who can come back and say, "So what." Um, are often the ones that break open the discussion and and um, really push and and I do want to talk about some some you know purpose and purposeful and real things but I think it's so important to start with mindset and openness and and consideration of what is it is possible what has what have we never what are we looking what are we not looking at that we, we should be looking at what have we never considered before that could change so many different things as well as um, where can we draw inspiration from that is not, as just said, our camp's history or or even other camps that look just like us? Yeah, I just don't think if you only look at other camps, then you're you're still stuck, right? Like this is where I've said time and time again, we need to we need to pay attention to what's going on outside of our own industry as well to see where we're missing a niche or a program or a, a new design that could that could change everything did i'm not sure if people saw it but i'll try and find it before uh for the show notes but uh in the tokyo olympics they're using cardboard beds how awesome is that yeah it's pretty dope it's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> i think there's so much inspiration and creativity that we can draw from our parents and our campers too when it comes to getting outside of our own headspace and outside of what we've always known i mean just as a, a small example um, two days ago, well, two days ago was a holiday in the U.S. Yesterday, it must have been, we were on our way to school and our 12-year-old said, you know what we should do at camp? Because my husband is a camp director. You know what we should do at camp is we should have like a pirate ship in the middle of the lake. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. we should do that. <laughs> like, I would have never thought of that, but that's an epic idea. I'm sure some camps are doing it, but um, but where he came up with that, I have no idea. We weren't talking about anything related. We were listening to podcasts, but there was nothing related to it. It just came out of his mind, right? Because he's got a camper's imagination as a 12-year-old boy. So how, you know, the thought of how can we um, kind of dissect or or get into the minds of campers and parents and and their imaginations to and add that into to to make our our thought process even bloom further. I, I think one of the the best pieces of advice I could offer to a camp who's seriously considering their future is to spend time before the the, the brainstorm that that everybody thinks of, um, and start with here are the things that are limiting our discussion like acknowledge the things that are limiting the discussion you know we're, we're limited by tradition we're limited by people who say we don't do that here or, um, or we've always done that here and um, just acknowledge some of those things going going forward um, it, it, I'll, I'll start to change things a bit but I want to see if anybody else wanted to have any more thoughts on sort of philosophy setting this up 
really opening your consideration and to possibilities. I think Travis, you said earlier, this idea that just if the words we've always done it that way, uh, an old friend that we, most of us know, um, or that um, the Canadians would know is um, Jim Penner. Is it Jim Penner from Silver Lake? who said the dying words of a church are, we've always done it that way. And so if you're in religious camping like I am, and you see your churches that have supported you go lower and like just fewer and fewer and fewer, it's because they're unwilling to change or adapt. And that's, I think, a great place to put in front of summer camps as well. Yeah, it looked like you had a thought. Oh, I was, I was just going to say that, um, and I've said this uh, before as well, So, um, but I think it's important within your organization to, to adapt the philosophy that changes part of your history. So whether you've been a camp around for 150 years or for four years that you talk about that, that changes part of our history and you, you name the things that, that your camp has done, you name the things that your camp has shifted and, and to acknowledge that um, we stand on the shoulders of the people that came before us and that the work that they did before us was so that we can do better work and stronger work. And we're always building. That's, that's our philosophy. And I think all organizations that, you know, change is part of our, of our history. It doesn't mean that we're changing our value system. It doesn't mean we're changing our mission statement, but, but to keep always getting closer to that mission statement, um, we need to, we need to evolve. There's a, um, a great book uh, that we covered in one of the other podcasts that we did. Um, but the, um, the five, um, most important questions by um, you're, you'll ever ask your organization by Peter Drucker. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'll just read read the five questions, but this you should be able to answer these questions before you go into the design phase. So, what is our mission? Who is our customer? What does the customer value? What are our results? And what is our plan? Um, you know, like uh, I think if you can answer those five questions, um, the, the ideas that will generate from that will be limitless. It really is that fundamental. So Dan, I'll I'll go right straight back to you and say, what do you think are some of the things that camps need to be thinking about considering when planning for a programmatic future or a building future, et cetera? Yeah. um, uh, So I wrote down um, a a few things. One is um, with the design process, um, really understand the phrase, nothing for us without us. Um, it's a movement in terms of program design for people uh, that might have a disability or uh, a diverse ability or be on the spectrum. Um, but uh, people need to be in the room that are going to be using the program or developing the building or in any aspect, right? And uh, one is to make sure people are heard. There's a need to be heard. But also um, to recognize that uh, if you're not the user, uh, then how can you be designing something to be used properly and to really understand that you need somebody in there. Like if you're designing a cabin and uh, you're not thinking about the American Disabilities Act where you need to have somebody coming in with a wheelchair and have the right access, then, then you're not really thinking about everyone. Um, so I think it's important with the design process that you really understand the phrase, nothing for us um, uh, without us. Uh, really understand what that, that means. Um, the second is, um, I, I would say the biggest threat to any camp or any organization is, is your own ego. Um, and to really understand that you might not know everything and it's okay. Um, and, 
if uh, we were to know everything, then we would never need any person ever in our team, and, and that's just ridiculous. So um, figuring out how to challenge without being negative, um, how to rank your priorities. You can't have everything that you want. It's just a matter of life, and, and to know that um, uh, you need to figure out what is that top priority. And sometimes we have this and or slash, but even with that, there is going to be a top priority. Um, you know, I work with a lot of nonprofits at times and, and uh, they forget about the fiduciary responsibility of being around for the next year. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they say, no, that's, that's not who we are. That's not what it is. We don't want to be a for-profit company. And, and my reply to that is that, you know, if you're not bringing in enough income to sustain yourself to be there next year or to, to pay your employees, uh, frankly, you're not being a steward. You're not being responsible. Um, so I think it's important that you, you figure out how to rank your priorities. I'm not saying exploit and pack every bed and pack every kid into every little seat and crevice. You obviously need to know what your tipping point and quality is, but uh, just understand your ego can get in the way, um, more than you, you know, and to, to know that if you bring in people, um, that challenge you, you're, you go the right way. I was thinking about Abraham Lincoln and, um, you know, in terms of he brought in people that had different thoughts than him, people he did fundamentally didn't agree with, but it challenged him and challenged his, uh, presidency to, to be better, you know? Um, so, um, there's that. And then the last one I have here is just that, um, reflecting on reading recently reading originals by Adam Grant. Um, one of the parts of the book he talked about, um, it's okay to copy. Um, it's okay to to be original by starting off where someone else left. You know, um, to it's okay to copy at first and then to make it your own, um, and to not necessarily think of um, originality as blazing your own path. I, I supervised somebody um, that was extremely talented and um, very diligent, great in terms of um, thinking, in terms of thinking long-term, but it would always get hung up on his own originality. It would, would say he is not original. He would tell people all the time it's not original. But if he walked in and saw you developing something, could come in and help you develop it in a way that you didn't think of. And um, it, it challenged him a lot to think about his originality differently than just coming up with original ideas. Sometimes it's taking something and making an enhancement. Um, making a change that's going to make it for the better. So um, it's okay to copy. It's okay to, to um, you know, like it, whether it's from a camp or it's a post office or it's a theme park or, you know, it's, um, but uh, it's okay to copy at first to get your fundamental understanding into where to enhance from here. So yeah, those are my three overall thoughts on, on design. Dan, you said something that that um, that comes out often in my work, and and sometimes it's it's Stacy. I wonder if this is the same thing that happens with you. Is that um, people think they're hiring a consultant to give them answers? And I think the consultant's real job is to ask questions. And it, this often happens to like design things um, where people will be like, "What do you think, Travis? Do you like this?" And I have to repeatedly say, "It doesn't matter." Like, well, I'm here to help you ask the questions of the people who are actually going to use it. I'm a 50-year-old guy from Woodstock, Ontario, Canada. I am not a young family from San Diego that you're selling to. Uh, let's go to them and ask them. And so I, I really like your um, Not About Us Without Us, Dan. I think that's great and um, can lead to some really great sensitivity around yeah. this. Yeah. 
uh, just that thought, um, that, that actual phrase came out of um, uh, working with the Young Adult Institute, which is a large nonprofit in, in Manhattan. And they really believe in basically supporting people with a disability or diversity or on the spectrum from, from birth to death. And uh, that was, I learned that phrase from them um, uh, in terms of universal design. Uh, the, the best part about universal design is that everyone can use it. And, but the only way to get to universal design is to have people in the room that would be using it. Anybody else have some philosophical advice just to wrap up that section before we move on to some practical things that you would really want people to, a, a new camp director or someone who's facing a new challenge like this, they really, you really want them to consider? I think my big consideration would be that you are too short-sighted, right? Like accept that now because what you're not thinking about 20 years down the road, you're not thinking about 30 years down the road. This is a concept I have said in on this podcast before. We, we talk about, uh, we at Pierce talk about the phrase, today's campers camper. So is your camp going to be around for today's campers camper? So today's seven-year-olds, seven-year-old. So 27 years from now, well, you're camp- are you making a decision? And there are lots of young people or camp directors who are really new in their job who, who don't, don't pay enough respect to that because they feel like, well, if I don't sort out the now, I can't sort out the then, which is fine. I totally accept that. If you don't get your finances in order now, you're not going to be around. But when you make a decision um, to put in water lines, probably put in the high pressure water lines mm-hmm. versus the, the farmer's volunteer water line. Yeah. Right. Because you're going to prevent someone 27 years from now from cursing your name and blaming you and throwing you under the bus. Right. Or if you're going to get a building built, get a building permit so that there's a, a there's a, there's a paper trail so that at least when some, when your building inspector dies and the new building inspector, you know, 10 years from now, it's like, well, where, when did you build this building? And you're like, well, it's always been there. Right. So I think the, I, I think it's that, that idea of um, long-term vision. I know research has shown in, in United Church of Canada camps, research has shown that um, 85% of our camp directors are less than two years in their position at our 55 camps across the country. Mm-hmm. And only one who answered the survey is a 10 plus year, and that would be me. Um, and, and I even think at 15 years in, I don't know enough, right? I'm still correcting issues I caused for myself 15 years ago. But when I buy, right, when you buy something like a, a metal door for a building, Buy a metal door, buy an industrial metal door. Don't go to the hardware store and buy a, you know, buy a cheap house door because if a thousand campers use it every summer and 10,000 people at different rental groups use it, you want a door that's going to be there for at least 15, 20, 25 years that you'll never think about. So I think that long-term thinking is something that future proofing almost. So Dan's comment, you know, nothing for us without us. I love the idea of, I use the term future proof. I don't ever want to have a government agency tell me I need to change something. I need to make that door four inches wider. I need to put an elevator down because everybody needs to get to the basement I put in, right? Any of those things, right? 
So I'm my my current policy is to put in 42 inch doors when we replace doors, which means we reframe and people are like, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, but nobody's going to tell me I need to change it. <laughs> right. So that future proofing, if you have the ability to to think through it and and really plan for someone ahead of you, we are stewards of our properties and our programs at this moment in time, and we need to leave them better than we found them. This episode of the Camp Hacker Podcast is sponsored by Rad Tags. Rad Tags is outfitting camps with personalized keepsakes that speak without saying a word. Rad Tags allows you to show someone they belong, building a relationship that goes beyond their last day at camp. With the goal of helping camps create awesome recognition and affiliate programs that last beyond the summer, Rad Tags is doing a monthly giveaway for Go Camp Pro listeners. Just email your answer to the following question to matt at gocamp.pro and be entered to win five silicone bracelets with the rad hand sign. Each month, we'll pick a new winner. This month's question is, is there value in creating a program where camp merchandise is given for special milestones or accomplishments at camp? How do you do this? Don't forget, email your answer to matt at gocamp.pro with rad tags contest in the subject line. To find out more about how rad tags can elevate your camp program, visit zoic.ca slash rad. That's Z-O-I-C dot C-A slash R-A-D. Rad tags. Be and be known. Thank you. So I wonder, um, from your perspective, I, I mean, we have a lot of years of camp experience on this call, and um, that means that we've seen a lot of changes. It also means um, that, and I'm... Um, it also means that we may not have the freshest perspective on camp and that's worth considering too. How do we get um, new uh, new perspectives on, on things? But I wonder from your experience, what do you think are some of the issues around program and physical plant um, that are coming that we need to be aware of? Gab, what sort of things do you think? I, <clears throat> well, what we're thinking about right now is how to make our site multi-purpose in every aspect of of our site so how does you know how can we transform the dining room how can we transform our lodge how can we transform our new building called le chalet um how can it be multi-purpose and not just for one thing how can archery just we don't want archery to just be the archery field and how do we make it multi-purpose um almost every inch of our camp and that's an exercise that i've done uh with um, our, with uh, our staff members, our leadership team members, some of our alumni, and it's an activity um, that we started last summer with some of the group discussions with some of our seniors. Because we're coming up to our 100th, we're trying to integrate camper feedback and help them to start looking at the longevity within our organization. And the new building that we built, the, that's, that is sort of the, the talking point of it because one of the things our goal with this building is also to make it uh, partially a, a building that exhibits some of our archives and not just our archives, but archives that, that uh, once it's printed and not the exact original campers can manipulate, play with, and we can also exhibit within it so that we're tying sort of our legacy within, within this, this building. And one of the things that I would say when we started this project now, um, I, I work with my parents 
Uh, my father is a is a carpenter. Um, he is very uh, has very uh, strong opinions on how things should look and and how things should be. And um, and as do I. I also have my own opinions. And this became a, a father daughter project, which I knew from the beginning, and he did too, that it would be maybe a tough project. Um, but some of the things I learned from him is his respect and his care on our site that he honored the people before him by making newer buildings look like those older buildings. So if you walk around camp, it is difficult to tell which buildings are old, which buildings are new. Um, some of the things that he, he, he knew as what Joe, Joe was pointing out is that the buildings that were built in the twenties are far better constructed than the buildings that were built in the forties. And we're currently taking down most of those buildings in the forties and rebuilding them to look like the buildings in the twenties. So when we had the project with the new building, I was very excited about this sort of exhibit room, um, this new teaching kitchen, this new staff lounge. I was very excited about it and I really wanted to honor it. And I got excited about the design on the outside uh, to make it look different. And that was one of the things that my father taught me that we do not want this to stick out like a sore thumb. We want this to blend. Um, and he worked very hard to work with the landscape he, and he wanted it to look like it has always been there. And on a site that's so small with a floor plan of 60 by 40, which is quite large, uh, he did a fantastic job by keeping certain trees and rocks and creating paths that felt very, very natural. Now the inside when you walk in is different than any of our other buildings. It is white. It is bright. It is, it's an aha as you walk in. And that's my, my contribution in the sense of I wanted it to feel like we were outside. I wanted to feel, have that feeling compared to our other buildings where it's quite dark and dim and small windows because in the twenties, that's what they did. They made very small openings for windows, et cetera. I want something that was wonderful if it was raining and we had to go inside. It felt like we were, we were actually outside. So having that understanding of your purpose of your camp, having an understanding of not just looking at archery as archery and how can you repurpose it and when could you change things and involving people that are in different parts of your community, such as your alumni and your staff and your campers to bring them in on the conversation um, helps. Of course, you know, as, as Joe was saying that, you know, we, we are limited and it helps us have those ideas and the ideas for the building of course was executed by my father where I chat talked with him, but my inspiration came from my campers and from my staff members. And from me, cause I really love design <laughs> <laughs> and Pinterest and design magazines. <laughs> well, and I think, awesome. I think it's important that you, that your camper facility, if you're going to have one should have a look, right. It shouldn't look like, you know, you're just, there's a, there's a camp I know, no names um, that I would visit. And they had a group of volunteers who would just sort of run roughshod over the, the staff. And they would be like, great. Uh, so-and-so is getting rid of a garage. We're going to move it on site. And so you have all these little huts and buildings yeah. that had no real purpose. And I think that that's, I think when you get a building that looks, when you get things that look similar, it, it just, it, it's cohesive and set aside for campers because a lot of times campers could care less. It's all of the other groups you're going to try and attract who want to feel like it looks 
uh, right? Like it, to feel like it's a, it's a cohesive space. Um, so yeah, the, the look is important. It's also just aesthetic. So I'm not going to change the look of every building to match a new one until I have all the other repairs done. Right. Uh, I also think, Joe, that one of the worst mistakes, and this comes up in in everything, the, it comes up in staff training, it comes up in our marketing communications, the worst mistake you can make as a summer camp is to look sloppy or to look yeah. unintentional because yeah. who would trust you to look after your kids if you're sloppy about your communication? If, uh, you know, if your buildings are all mismatched and haphazardly all over the place, it's, it's all part of, of the package. Yeah. Stacy, what do you, what do you see in terms of things, issues coming, things we need to be aware of or thinking of, et cetera? Yeah. So, um, sort of a, a branch that I would add to this tree that, that goes in a bit of a different direction is, um, I've been part of some really interesting conversations about the role that technology and access to technology plays at camp. Um, so far as, um, some organizations saying it is high on our priority list to put Wi-Fi in every single building on our camp property in the next three years. Um, and just some, some really interesting conversations happening about the expectations of our customers who are, you know, our campers, our parents, our, our school groups and the administrators of those groups. If you have corporate groups coming out to your camp, um, that more and more the expectation of either cell phone signal or Wi-Fi or both is becoming less of, um, less of a comfort item and more of really a requirement for the way things happen and where people feel safe. And if people don't feel safe at your camp, then they're not coming to your camp or they're not sending their kids to your camp. And we're in, we're at that turning point where access to that technology is becoming a minimum requirement for people to feel safe in a lot of, in a lot of places, in a lot of cultures, in a lot of communities. And so, um, that's been some interesting conversations and, you know, I know there are still camps out there that are very much we're unplugged, there's no access here, and that that's a, a point that, that they're proud of. Um, and so I would really encourage camps anywhere across that, that spectrum of technology to have, have some tough conversations and challenge your current, um, you know, your current outlook on that to see is that, is that a direction that we want to or we need to go. And I think that has overlay to um, not just the concept of people feeling safe, but programmatically too. There's a lot of really interesting things we can do programmatically when we have, um, when we have that technology connection. So another kind of layer to look at and think about. And I think that's such a great, great wording. I love, Stacey, that you talk about it being about safety, the feeling, the perception of safety. Uh, because, yes, technology is a hard issue. Cell phones, we all know, is something that um, is, going, is causing problems for our kids and our staff. Um, but I think, you know, I was going to say, even for recruiting uh, staff members, uh, access to technology or access to the internet is going to be a big part of recruiting um, for college-age staff. But I love your thinking. It's it's about feeling safe. It's going to be part of what makes them feel safe in that. I, I also think that, and this is kind of one of the issues of, one of the bigger issues that I see coming is that if we are having trouble recruiting college-age staff, then we have to find staff in other places. And maybe that having access to the internet allows you to bring in older adults who might be coming for shorter periods of time, might be coming with their families, et cetera. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love the camps that have worked hard to make sure that they're intergenerational and that there are 
grandparents there and old retired alumni there and, and families, um, all that stuff. It's just, I think it's so thoughtful. And um, if we're having trouble with this college age stuff, then we have to be ready to offer a different experience. And um, some of those things will be required. Dan, Dan, what are some issues for you that, I, that you think we should be thinking of considering going forward? Yeah, um, uh, you know, just technically going back to the technology um, uh, uh, thing that Stacy brought up. It's funny. I so I wrote my master's thesis on plugging. Like, I'm a huge proponent of putting phones away. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's vital important to take tech holidays. Yeah, I agree with everything Stacy said, um, and I think it's important to really note that the needs are often beyond our thoughts. And I'll give a, a tangible example. Um, so Frost Valley, the, um, the camp I previously worked at, um, no cell service, um, Wi-Fi, uh, notoriously sparse, and they like it that way. Um, and yet we had a school that didn't want to come up um, because there was a family that tracked their child's diabetes using Wi-Fi. And um, this was actually one of, a, a crossroads for us because we prioritize on health. We prioritize on youth development. We prioritize on taking care of people and meeting where they're at. And um, we actually were able to get Wi-Fi to her cabin. And uh, she was able to come on a trip and normally doesn't go to places because of this lack um of safety and technology. So, you know, like you could turn the Wi-Fi off, you could have channels um, to still keep your camp intact, but I think it is important to note that there is technologies well beyond our, our current thoughts that are coming down the pipe that require people to have access to Wi-Fi, whether it's health monitoring or being accessible at all times. Um, it is definitely perceived safety, but also, um, a health issue for a lot of people. Um, so it just, just to kind of see that from a different angle and see that from somebody that really does um, pride on taking that technology break and what, what camp's for. Um, no, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is just to bring an outside facilitator when you start really digging into this. Um, you, you have to understand that you're part of your camp and that um, even though you might have some amazing ideas inside you, um, people see you as a as a professional or see you as part of the camp and don't want to offend you. Um, so to have an outside facilitator, um, somebody that can challenge even you in a room, um, you know, at the end of the day, they know who's cutting the check. So you don't have to worry about it. But at the same point in time, um, it, it shows that you're, you're really intentional in the design process. Um, you know, uh, I really uh, think that you should have experts on each little part consulting in some ways. You know, for instance, the first time I ever worked on a building, um, I never thought about which direction the sun was coming up in. <laughs> and yet that matters completely with window placement because if you have your building facing the wrong direction and all of a sudden the, that, those windows hit uh, with tons of sunlight and it warms your building up 20 degrees, that could bring your, uh, quite a bit of savings to you. It could also change how the building's being used. So I think it's important to really bring in the experts and not cut the corners when it comes to designing buildings. Um, just uh, one other thought is uh, I visited um, Camp Coniston. Uh, it's a Y camp in New Hampshire. John Tilly runs it. Um, John's been there for over 20 years at this point. Uh, truly in terms of looking at design and buildings, um, he is, that is where he's really shined. And he recommends this book, um, How Buildings Learn What Happens After They're Built. And I have yet to read it, but um, 
It's got amazing reviews on Amazon, but just talks about how buildings will change to the people that are there. And uh, uh, it's not necessarily architecture book in terms of design and, and little nuances, but it's more changing about how you think about buildings. But um, yeah, that's just kind of a loose end I wanted to bring up. I think right to add on to Dan's, <clears throat> the book that I thought of originally, right when you said that was a pattern language, which I'm sure I've used as a tool of the week in the past, but a pattern language, which I found on Cool Tools many years ago, literally talks about from conception, how you use space and not just building space like your house, but also like how you design, you know, a courtyard, how you design somewhere where people will meet. I think the, the, the idea is that uh, an, when you're planning a new building capital wise, you need to think about all of those possible uses as Gab was saying, right? And, and the reality is this is an architectural trend. When you go and you see new buildings being built, very few of them are very purpose-built. They're built, built for multi-purpose because um, that's where the greatest variety is. If, you're, um, if you go to any church that's been built recently in the past 10 years, you won't see pews. You won't see you won't see those things because that room can be used for many different things. Um, and the one thing I would really recommend is, is what I call roll in ready, be it the Americans with disability acts, be it the Ontario disability, right? Like just make your building so future proof that no one's ever going to come back at you on it. Um, and, and that's one of the challenges is space is certainly an issue. If you only have 14 acres, um, then you probably want to put a, you want, if you're going to build a building, you want it and you want it to be big and new and, and you want to, your only chance at some point is to build up, right? A basement and two floors. Um, having recently gone through a fire code issue, I will stick with single story buildings for the rest of my career here at Pierce Williams because A, we have 180 acres and, and B, fire code is very different for a single story building than it is for a two story or a, um, or a three-story building. Um, I think the other thing that we don't often take into account with improving camp is the additional costs that some of those, many of those things bring. When you build a building permit in Ontario, when you pull a building permit for your building in Ontario, the Municipal Property Assessment Corporation automatically gets that and thus your property tax will go up if they reassess you. So if you're building a million dollar building and you got a million dollar donation and you're on budget, all of those things, you're still losing money because you're not going to be able to afford the additional three to $4,000 per year in property tax, utilities, upkeep for the lifetime of that building. And I think that, um, I think that as we, I think the greater the flexibility on a building, that's good for your facility. But I also think that we need to, you need to have a, someone just to walk you through the fact that there's all these other costs that you just can't imagine at this moment in time. And I think that's where, um, or other things that you wouldn't have experienced. So um, like the idea of um, on Facebook right now, there is a conversation about whether to put in a basement or not in a new building. And, and I would say that if you're on a small site and that's your only way to gain space and that's your option, maybe the answer is yes, 
right? If you're in bedrock in the Muskoka area of Ontario, putting a basement in is going to actually cost you a lot more than, than not because you have to dig into it. I would argue that every basement, and I was in a lot of basements this summer. I toured 10 camps on the East Coast in Canada, and every basement I was in had a dehumidifier going, and every basement smelled like it was wet. And they're like, well, they just didn't build it right. And I'm like, well, at what point do we say that every builder doesn't build a basement right when you see a dehumidifier in every space, right? And, and I just, my, my case for it would be that if you're looking at it from a disability standpoint, can they get into the basement? And in the future, is somebody going to make you as an employer, make sure that every space is accessible, are you putting a giant ramp, right? Like, and, and it, is that, is your second story necessary? Because you're going to either have to have an elevator. This is where a lot of churches are going under because the way the act reads with public buildings, which a church would fall under, is they need elevators so that people can get into each area. And churches built in the 1800s were not, they didn't think about it right? Like you immediately walk in the door and there's stairs up and stairs down. It's just, a, it's, so I think this idea of having someone with a bit more of the um, pragmatic, is that the right use of, use of that word? A pragmatic approach to your ideas? Because it's great to build a brand new building, um, but if it doesn't get used properly, then or it just doesn't meet your needs anymore, then it's, then it's just a giant waste of, of time and money. I want to bring this right around and, and start to wrap us up here. And so I would challenge each of you, and I'll, I'll start us off here. What are some issues that you see coming that others may not, or may be sort of on the periphery of discussion? And I, and I have three uh, to start us off. I think one issue that's coming that we are, we are ignoring at our peril and it will become non-optional very soon is the issue of staff pay. Um, that a lot of camps have got away with underpaying their staff. And that is going to affect your pricing. It's going to affect everything. Um, but I know in Canada, it's going to be uh, an issue in the next several years that camps will have to, to, to pay their staff better. I know that there are camps who have current legal requirements to pay their staff better that are not. And I think that that's going to come back to, uh, to haunt them at some point. Um, so staff pay, I think, is an issue that, that camp isn't, isn't addressing. It's related to this future topic. I think that camps have to be super conscious of the fact that summers are going to be hotter. And um, that although we like the rustic, no cell phone look of things, we, I think, are going to have to build all buildings going forward with air conditioning in them. Uh, and furthermore, that summers are going to be stormier and that we need to be building and future-proofing ourselves in the way of storm shelters, better buildings, um, that uh, it's, I don't think it's going to stay acceptable for parents, especially those who don't have the history and that, that feeling of, um, you know, what I loved at this tent cabins when I was a kid, that at, at some point we're going to have to move to sturdy buildings that, again, like Stacey said, feel safe to people and, and or are ready for storms and have air conditioning in them. And I agree that that doesn't 
feel like campy if people grew up at a, a more traditional overnight camp. Um, but I think that that's things that we're, we're going to have to think of. Anything else you can think of, Stacey, that would be issues coming that you see? No, I mean, you know, I talked about technology already and the access to Wi-Fi, and I think that's the the biggest one in my mind. And then ditto to what you shared there, Travis. I, I think um, most of you know that I'm big on the millennial mom audience and what their expectations are. And so I think in terms of um, the, the comfort and expectation for parents of what they consider safe um, is definitely shifting, as you mentioned. And so really I encourage all, all camps to, um, if you... If, if there's that moment where you're rolling your eyes at something a parent is complaining about, it's time to look in the mirror and think, okay, well, is there something on, on our side here that we can make, make this more accessible to, to what their expectations are? And so um, kind of that, that sense check or that temperature check anytime those moments come up. So agree with what you shared, Travis. Excellent. Thank you. Um, that's probably a great great spot to wrap us up on this. Um, I want to thank all of you for your contributions on this. And um, Therefore, move us on to our Tool of the Week. Tool of the Week. If you are new, you have follow Stacey Simpson and you're coming to join the Camp Hacker Podcast for the first time because you love Stacey and, and go wherever she goes, uh, our Tool of the Week moment is um, when we ask each uh, co-host to bring a tool that makes them a better camp director. And um, Stacy, for your followers, what's your tool of the week? Yeah, so for my millions of followers who have tuned in this week to the podcast, um, so I am sharing a really cool resource. I, I mentioned earlier that um, for me working a lot with Girl Scout camps, um, we have awesome resources that come from our national organization. And um, there's a branch of that that's called the Girl Scout Research Institute, um, which is actually separate from our national organization, but related, obviously. And they do uh, really cool research about Girl Scouts, but also about girls in general in the United States. And what really gets nerdy and fun is when we can compare those data sets between Girl Scouts and non-Girl Scouts and all that good stuff. Um, but they have a recent uh, research study and report and findings that came out just in November um, that's called Today's Girls, Tomorrow's Entrepreneurs. And it's specifically about how girls see themselves and their world from an entrepreneurial mindset and what they are looking toward for their futures um, from that entrepreneurial framework. So um, I'm super nerdy about <laughs> girls' leadership and about entrepreneurship and running small businesses. So like it's a collision of all my favorite things. Um, so you can go check out the research study and a bunch of resources and information related to it um, either at girlscouts.org slash research. And it's the first one because it's the most recent on their list or um, there's a really cool site called whygirlscouts.org so it's w-h-y not why like the ymca but w-h-y girlscouts.org slash success and it'll show you the the findings of that research there as well it's really exciting to see um, how girls are looking at themselves and entrepreneurship in our world great start to the tool of the week thanks stacy Gap, what's your tool um, my tool, I was just going to say, Stacy, so awesome. I just uh, forwarded that link to one of my staff members and I said, tomorrow morning, we are going over uh, this, uh, this awesome site. Um, I'm going to be going over it while I hold my handy mug, which is my tool of the week. Um, <clears throat> there's a story to this. So 
I lost my camp, my favorite camp uh, tumbler uh, maybe a year and a half ago. And I'm very particular about things. And um, it took me a very long time to find a new water bottle. Um, so much so that it took me about a year. And I called my mother when I found it. And I said, I found my water bottle. And she said, oh, is it all black? I said, yes. And she says, is there a logo on it? I go, it's really small and it's gray. So it's going to be okay. She knew that I'm very picky. So I'm extremely picky. I've done my research. I love this thing. Um, it's a great water bottle. It's a great uh, tea slash coffee mug. I put my tea in it the night before. I close it and then I will take the tea bag out. Um, and then when I get up in the morning, I go to work and I open it and it is perfect temperature. So um, it's a Kento mug. It's going to set you back about 45 bucks, but it's worth it because you might not lose it because you love it. So that's mine. Perfect. I love that one. Thank you. Dan, what do you got? Yeah, um, I uh, was on Facebook. I was on the American Camp Association, New York, New Jersey's Facebook page, and they were posting uh, books that were uh, other camp directors had recommended. And there was one on there called The Energy Bus by John Gordon. I recently read it, and it was, it was pretty short. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I, for me, I am, uh, I've been managing people for quite some time. And as you do this longer and longer, you forget what it's like to be in the role for the first time. <laughs> and um, uh, for me, I, that, that's, that is a reason I read, not only to shepherd myself, but also to remind me of where I came from. And um, this is just a really good book for, I would say, first, uh, first-time managers or managers that have been managing for a little bit of time and really are struggling with their team. Uh, but um, the, the focus of the book, it's, a, it's written like a parable, in some ways, um, uh, more like a narrative, but uh, basically just kind of breaks 10 rules uh, for attracting positivity and energy in, in your work and in also your life and um, just easy to read and, and enjoyable and uh, made me think a lot about how we're training our staff and, and how we're onboarding our managers. But yeah, quick read as well too. So The Energy Bus by John Gordon and the show notes will put, uh, there's a cliff notes to the the 10 rules of, of the, of your life, uh, for the right of your life. And, uh, if you don't have the time to read it, you can just read that and, and get a good understanding of it. It's perfect. My tool of the week is, um, is something that has come up, uh, in some other work I'm doing this month. Um, and it is about encouraging conversations in meetings and we talked about brainstorming and some of that and, and, uh, some of the work I'm doing with Seth Godin's Alt MBA coaching this month has really reiterated a great Michael Brandwine lesson that I want to make sure uh, that everybody knows and uses. And that is that when we ask a question to a group, they are most of the times are going to have the same people answer or the same people jump up to answer. Uh, and that we need to work hard to make sure that everybody gets a chance to answer. And sometimes that uh, involves some very specific techniques, um, many of which you know, but I just wanted to make sure that you were reminded of or introduced to the idea of WIBIT, which is um, a Michael Brandwine style acronym uh, for write it before you talk. And if you make people take the time to do that, then um, you have some more thoughtful answers for one and or you also get some other people to answer questions that might not if you just open open up to the floor, open up to the floor over and over again. And uh, it has been a, a great technique, so much so that we had permanent um, kind of poster sized cards that you could hold up as a camp leader when you're doing staff training um, and you just hold it up and everybody would yell it with it and then go to work on the question that you asked. So that's mine. 
How about you, Joe? My tool of the week is a podcast. Um, I don't know how many episodes there are, um, but it's called Dolly Parton's America. This is a weird tool, but it's, it goes to the fact that I encourage people to think outside of camp. And the, the one sentence, so Dolly Parton America comes to us from the creators of Radio Lab, um, which is another great podcast if you don't, don't listen to it. And the, the one sentence that really defines it is, in this intensely divided moment of the, the United States, one of the few things everyone still seems to agree on is Dolly Parton. But why? And it dives into that. And it's a fascinating look into a world that I simply didn't know existed. Um, I was in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, which is uh, home to Dollywood um, in November on our way to Asheville for the, the Great Gathering Conference. And uh, this, this podcast is it, it's fascinating and all the things that makes my mind stretch a little bit um, to fully understand Someone who, as also says in the description, was the the butt of many boob jokes, but also has now turned into an iconic um, feminine icon who doesn't agree with feminism. It's a bizarre, it's a great podcast when you listen to it. So that is my recommendation. And I'm going to sneak in a second one, a Chrome extension called You Blacklist. You ever search for anything? and the same site, so you're searching for an image and Pinterest keeps popping up on you, you blacklist, you can block it. You can block any list from coming up in search and it's brilliant. So uh, you blacklist. Thank you. Um, I didn't go last on the tool of the week this time because I also have a second one. This one just came up for me uh, because uh, of our topic. And um, I, when I was planning my tool of the week, this didn't come up. But as we were talking, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so relevant to the topic. I have been watching on the new Disney Plus channel uh, the Imagineers story from Disney. It's a five-part documentary series on the Imagineers. And... um, it is. It's intense. It's so great for, for breaking your brain open on planning for the future and, and building with intention and going to the next level. I think we all can't be so, so well-versed in, in the customer service of Disney and the thoughtfulness of Disney, but this one really just shows you. And just the art involved in everything that the Imagineers do is so wonderful. Um, And for those of you who don't know, the Imagineers and the Disney company aren't necessarily those who make the movies. They're the ones that make the physical things, the parks and uh, and the experiences that we all know um, from Disney. It's such a a great window into that. So heartily recommend the Imagineer story. Uh, Five part, so five hour um, documentary on on their stuff. Also interesting to realize that Disney had a lot more up and ups and downs than probably most people know these days or remember these days. So uh, that was really cool. Excellent. Um, so thank you all. So if you are interested in any of the things we've mentioned, we've thrown in some extra tools, we've thrown in some extra references. Um, you can thank Matt Hansberger, our uh, our editor and producer for um, putting these show notes together from our show. And also you can find all those things at camphacker.tv slash podcast. Uh, and so these show notes and every other thing. Unfortunately, Dan had to go. So the other thing you can find in our show notes is how to get a hold of Dan Weir if you have any follow-up questions from his stuff. Uh, but Stacy, if people have questions and want to follow up with you, how do they get a hold of you? 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. My name is Stacy Simpson, S-T-A-C-I-E. Um, I also have a website at stacysimpsonconsulting.com. And I um, run a podcast called All Things Girl Scout. So if you're interested in Girl Scout stuff, you can find me there too. Thanks for being on, Stacy. We really appreciate it. It's good to have you back. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Joe? Uh, if people want to follow me, they can do that through two websites, one being the Pierce Williams website, which is uh, campisbetter.com. Life is good, camp is better. And if you want to find a giant archive of blogs from as far away as 16 to 17 years ago and free downloads of the Camp Counselor Manifesto poster, you can go to yoyojoe.com, Y-O-Y-O-J-O-E.com. Thank you. And everybody should check out Joe's oh, Camp God. Counselor Manifesto. It's fun to see it in lots of different places and, and say to myself, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Gab? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Gabrielle Rail, Rail with two L's. Uh, or you can check out where I work at waro.com, O-U-A-R-E-A-U. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, so thank you all for that. Um, I wanted to say also thank you to uh, the people on Patreon who sponsored the Camp Hacker podcast. So there is a loyal group who've been with us for years who have paid to have Matt go through and write up good show notes. And they are such a blessing to this community um, for investing in the Camp Hacker podcast and um, a couple of recent and new, new patrons that we're really excited about. So thank you to those people who make the Camp Hacker show possible. We're grateful. Um, one other thing that you could do, like we invite you to support us on, on Patreon. I usually don't make too big a deal about that. And I'm grateful that Matt does it in the other parts of the, when he edits the show, but um, welcome out of course. Uh, also just one simple little thing. If you go to rate this podcast com slash camp, um, you can leave us a, a rating that will spread out across many different um, podcast apps and things. We have often invited you to leave a, a review on iTunes. This will spread it out over Stitcher, etc. So um, rate this podcast.com slash camp. You can find us there. And um, as I say, show notes at camphacker.tv slash podcast. Thanks for the evening, friends. The Camp Hacker Podcast is brought to you by Beth and Travis Allison, summer camp leadership training and marketing consultants. Thanks for listening. Camp Hacker, bringing your world into focus. podcast. Thanks for the evening, friends.